I'm Dave Bonacco, the Allemeyer Family Head of School at Parish Episcopal School. Welcome to the From My Angle podcast. As my listeners may know, we are dedicating episodes this year to the theme, Together. In our launch episode a couple of weeks ago, word-of-mouth marketing experts Hugh Weber and Gino Church helped us think about how shared passions unite individuals, amplify their creativity and power, and help them accomplish great things. My reasons for exploring this theme may seem obvious. The pandemic has disconnected us from friends, family, and many of the activities we love to do with them for almost half a year now. Meanwhile, social unrest has given view to the polarization in our country, but also to the change that can come when people gather for a cause. So, with our students returning to campus in just a few days, for the first time since March, with the movement for social justice still front and center, and with the presidential election now just two months away, I wanted to commit podcast episodes this fall to explore not only why we gather, but also what is required for us to come together and stay together. Even when uniting around a shared interest or cause, when in groups we will not always align or agree. So how is it that we listen deeply and fully to one another? How do we disagree with honor and civility? How do we reconcile when disagreement causes a disconnection between us? I wanted to start by considering the importance of listening when we come together as a group, and in my research, I came across an incredible person from whom I wanted to learn more. I believe she will help us reflect on the role of listening in forging deep connection. Dame Evelyn Glennie is the world's premier solo percussionist, performing worldwide with the greatest orchestras, conductors, and artists. Her solo recordings exceed 40 CDs and are as diverse as her career on stage. A double Grammy winner and BAFTA nominee, Evelyn is also a composer for film, theater, and television. She was awarded an OBE in 1993 and has over 100 international awards to date, including the prestigious Polar Music Prize and the Companion of Honor. Evelyn is currently creating the Evelyn Glennie Collection with a vision to open a center that embodies her mission to teach the world to listen. She aims to improve communication and social cohesion by encouraging everyone to discover new ways of listening as proven in her book, Listen World. She wants to inspire, to create, to engage, and empower. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Dame Evelyn Glennie. Ms. Evelyn Glennie, welcome to the From My Angle podcast. It is an honor and pleasure to speak to you. I believe you are my first international gift, uh, guest speaking to us this afternoon in your time from Cambridgeshire, England. So good afternoon. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. I am honored that you uh, chose to, to jump in as one of my first guests for this uh, year. My listeners uh, know that I'm dedicating episodes this year to this uh, theme of Together, and we've just really launched it a couple of weeks ago. I spoke to a couple of gentlemen, Hugh Weber and, um, and Gino Church, who helped us think about how passions unite us as a community, how we come together to amplify our creativity and power and together to accomplish great things. But I was drawn to this theme because of where I think I find our world and especially the United States to be now, you know, all separated and distant because of the pandemic. And then our country here, as you may know, 
polarized uh, quite a bit around different issues of social justice and the politicalization of things and with an, ele uh, an election coming up. So I was thinking, I, I really want to start with somebody who can talk to us about listening. And in the <laughs> research I was doing, I stumbled along uh, and came to find out about Miss Lenny. You can watch her TED Talk, which has six million views. You can listen to her music. And I can't wait for you to understand a little bit about um, what she can bring and what she thinks about this whole concept of listening. So welcome. You are a Grammy award-winning percussionist. You are profoundly deaf since the age of 12, yet you've described your life's purpose as teaching the world to listen. Miss Glennie, what exactly do you mean by this? <laughs> well, thank you for, for having me be part of this discussion. Um, really, I think that listening is quite different to hearing. So hearing is a, a medical situation that can be measured, really. Uh, but we sometimes confuse that with listening. And listening is an act that we decide to participate in. So you can actually medically hear uh, nothing or very, very little, but still be an extraordinary and sensitive listener. And listening doesn't depend on sound alone. Listening, for me anyway, is observing. It's sort of being in the moment. It's being present. It's paying attention. It's concentrating. Um, and it's just quite simply bringing all your senses together in order to create, I suppose, the mysterious sixth sense that we often talk about. Um, but our senses are not just clear cut. You know, you can't say um, well, someone who is blind simply cannot see. Um, the fact that they use their sense of touch is a form of seeing. Um, the fact that I feel vibrations is a form of listening. It's a form of hearing as well. So our bodies and the amazing engines that we have will respond to sound if we pay attention. Yeah, you make this big differentiation uh, between music and music as sound. Right. And for you, it, you, you're really you really work in sound, not just musical notes. Absolutely. And that really extends to almost any and every part of our everyday living. So, you know, if I say to you, hello, you know, you can probably guess that I'm quite cheery and, and you know, I'm, I'm happy to, to meet you. But if I say hello and, you know, oh, something's up, she's a bit down, you know, something may be worrying her. Or if I just say hello. I'm in a bit of a hurry. I can't really be bothered with you right now. So all of these expressions um, are passed on to us, not just through the, the tone or the sound, but it's the tempo. It's what else the body is doing, the facial expression, um, just the angle of the body, the hands, you name it, the whole, the whole story of that person and how they uh, deliver that word. So, and it, it's quite interesting when you actually... Um, you know, ask people to switch off the sound of a television, for example, and really ask yourself, well, how am I engaging now with those people on TV? You know, am I using other parts of my senses? Are, are things becoming more razor sharp? Or am I dissecting their movements to create another type of message? Or do I actually find them quite funny, but actually they could be saying something quite serious? Or, you know, it, it's just interesting to challenge your senses every now and again. So sometimes if I'm playing something like a marimba or a drum set, I may actually just cover my eyes or even shut my eyes or look up at the ceiling or something. Mm -hmm. And you just have a different 
perspective of your space and that then affects your sense of touch can you believe um so it is interesting that and i i like how we can really tap in and, and push the boundaries as regards to what our senses can do yes you have this incredible platform to do it because you are profoundly deaf yet you play instruments that make an exceptionally loud noise the you know <laughs> percussion right and so you've uh, really leveraged it i think in this time of great need to get communities more broadly to think not just about the beautiful music that you, you contribute to making, but this whole idea of deep listening. But I'm afraid that if we don't get into some really basic points of interest, that our listeners will actually stop listening because I'm sure they're saying, okay, she's talking to him on Zoom. How's that working? She plays percussion. How is that happening? So unpack a little bit your personal history of, you know, losing your uh, hear, beginning to lose your hearing at age eight, becoming profoundly deaf, and then finding yourself into a career as a professional musician, now hearing me uh, across the computer wires on Zoom. How does that all work? How did it happen? Tell us a little bit of that story. Well, basically, I was brought up in the northeast of Scotland on a farm. So uh, I was brought up with nature, with animals, with machinery and so on. And we were very akin to the seasons and very much to patience, the idea of patience. And that's quite important to say at this point. And so I was very much an outdoor child. I loved running around and being on my bike. And of course, it can be very windy in the northeast of Scotland. And I discovered that I was getting really sore, very painful ears. And anyway, I happened to go to a very tiny primary school. It was a country primary school that had in the total of the whole school, 37 pupils with only two teachers. And so the teachers could really zoom in on each individual of the school. And they discovered that I was really lagging behind in my homework and in conversations and so on. Uh, my ears were absolutely throbbing. I then um, went to an audiologist who, after a while, confirmed that the nerves of the ears were deteriorating. So by the time I reached the age of 12, um, I was dependent on hearing aids. I had already been playing the piano, which I very much loved, but all of this was done by ear, even although I'd learned to read music. But I had no de desire or, or any inclination to become a professional musician. Music was just very much part of my, my environment. Was your father a musician? Did I read? Was there a musician? No, not really. He, he was an accordionist. He was okay. a farmer, obviously, but he was a, a, an accordionist. But when myself and my brothers were born, he, he stopped playing. So we never actually saw him play at all. But he had a good ear, actually. My mother, on the other hand, could read music, but didn't have a good ear. So she needed the dots on the page to, to, to get anywhere. And uh, so basically, I then moved to a larger secondary school, not dissimilar number wise to your school. And, uh, and it had a very strong music department. So many of the children, a high percentage of the, the youngsters played musical instruments. We had a good pool of peripatetic instrumental teachers come in. Which but it was, not a school for a, it was not a school for deaf children. No, not at all. In those days, the local school for the deaf in Aberdeen uh, in the northeast of Scotland was very much sign language based, so they did not involve music at all, bearing in mind this was back in the 70s. And so they couldn't quite bring music and hearing impaired kids together. They, they, they were poles apart. 
And I felt that really it was important for me to just remain at a mainstream school. And if that was not going to work, then we would readdress the situation. But my two brothers went there. And thankfully, it was a school. It was a community school whereby it was kitted out for hearing impaired kids, for sight impaired kids, for kids in wheelchairs and so on. So the school was, um, you know, fitted with ramps, with uh, colored uh, schemed walls suitable for sight impaired people, um, rooms that were acoustically uh, treated for uh, hearing impaired kids and so on. So even though it was a school for all kids in that area, no matter what their situation. So I was very lucky in that respect and I was able to really get through school with, with very good support. I left school at 16 and then went to the Royal Academy of Music in London for, for three years to get a degree. And by the time I reached the age of 15, I was very clear in my mind that I wanted to be a solo percussionist. So it was a very clear aim, no frills attached. That was tattooed across my forehead. That's what I wanted to be. And that was absolutely what I focused on. And if I couldn't do that, then I'd do something else because I didn't want to be in an orchestra. I didn't want to do other aspects of music at that time. It was absolutely being the solo percussionist. And at that point, could you hear, uh, could you listen to one without hearing aids? Could you hear the music? Like, where, what was the status of your hearing at that point? Well, basically, uh, when I was going through my teenage years, I was dependent on the hearing aids. And I thought that really music and sound in general was fed through the ears. That's how you heard. And music, of course, where you're dealing with all different kinds of frequencies, different attacks, different dynamics and so on, that was extremely confusing and very unclear through the aids. And so it was my first percussion teacher who sort of struck a drum and he said, my goodness, the drum resonates. And perhaps we also can perceive that sound and, and receive the vibration of that physically feel the vibration. So I took my hearing aids off and I heard less through the ear, but more through the body. And that really was a key, key moment for me because it meant that I could begin to gain confidence by hearing less in this part of the upper part of my body, but more through the mid and lower part. So it was a huge revelation for me. And that's really how I developed over the years. It's really cool in your TED talk because you talk about maybe that first teacher telling you to go home with your drum, your snare drum, for like two weeks with no with no with no drumsticks. No and sticks so, and no stand. Yeah, so you were just like exploring it with your with your hands and your jewelry and and just uh, turning the snare on and off, really coming to <laughs> feel the instrument at a much deeper level than simply the drumstick uh, hitting it. Absolutely. And, and that whole process has not changed to this day. And in fact, earlier today, I uh, had uh, the delivery of a, a small uh, new instrument. And the same process applies today as it did back then. So I will look at that instrument, you know, feel the texture of what is the material, the weight, et cetera, et cetera, and treat it as a child would with a brand new toy uh, without the instructions. You just literally explore from the very, very first step. Yeah. And so this dynamic that if, if folks are thinking metaphorically with us about what it means just to listen to one another, right, this whole idea of the, the superficial listening versus a, a, you know, essentially a full body listening, like a, a complete commitment to hear another, even in two points of disagreement, 
varied background, what have you. I, I think this is why, you know, again, to use a uh, musical term, why you, your work resonated so much with me as we start this conversation about why communities are fracturing and, yes. and, and why I think the huge challenge for groups that want to stay together is to be, um, you know, deeply committed to listening to learn, you know. I mean, it, it, absolutely. And interestingly, you know, it's not at all dissimilar to learning a piece of music. So I may get a, a, a new piece of music on my lap and I may look at it. I then start to play it. And it's very easy for a musician to say, I like that piece or I don't like that piece. You know, we're very quick to to summarize something um, as it being in that box or that box. But actually, the more you spend time with that piece of music, you discover all sorts of things. And you think, oh, actually, this is this is kind of interesting. It's almost like having a first date with someone. You know, you don't know everything about that person in the first date. It takes many, many meetings. It takes many circumstances in different scenarios to get to know that person. And it's exactly the same with a piece of music. Even if you've learned that piece to a performance level, you then need many di different performance spaces for the, for the piece to be explored and to speak. So really, we need time with people and their circumstances, their story, because we all have a story and it just needs time to be digested. Yeah, I love how you talk about this idea of uh, translating a piece of music and interpreting it, which translating it is they send you, a deaf musician, the notation of the piece that you're going to play, and you can read it. Yes. Right? But this notion of you spending time with it and really coming to feel it and interpret it and then convey it, you know, really from, from your understanding of it, your feel of it, is akin, again, to us making a first-pass superficial judgment of an individual based on their appearance or where they've come from or their religious background, what have you, without, as you suggest, I think so, so wisely, sitting down and coming to understand their story. Talk to us about this idea of interpreting music versus translating it and, and how you see that as a musician. Well, it's so interesting that because um, it's, it's actually quite easy for us to translate something because we can uh, you know, go to another person and ask them how to translate it. We can look on Google to how to translate something. We can see another person's performance to see how they translate something. But really, that's something that is quite mechanical, quite um, uh, almost black and white to a certain degree because you're following instructions. So it's like taking out a bit of furniture that you have to put together and build and you read the instructions and you put that screw there and you put that bit there and you stick that there and so on and you follow the instructions but interpretation is sort of imagining how you know you 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 want to build the story of this particular piece so you might have that wardrobe as a as a as a kit in a in a box that but you can imagine that wardrobe perhaps in your bedroom you can imagine things hanging up on that wardrobe you can imagine opening the doors of the wardrobe the smell of the wardrobe and so on and how you might want to decorate the wardrobe you know that's interpretation that's not going to be on the instruction sheet you know or the care and maintenance of your wardrobe this is going to be your imagination so it's what you don't 
see on the page that is so important for us to listen to. Because as you say, we can look at someone or we can have the information as regards to where they live or what they do or their interests and so on. But it, it, they need a chance to, to, to tell us their story because that's when all the senses are ignited and, and you know, we begin to build the layers up. Um, and, and start colouring in that story. Um, and that takes both the listener and the storyteller. It's like a piece of music. We need an audience. And during this lockdown period, we have no audience, not really. And we're feeling that. We're losing our energy as musicians. Mm. I mean, our physical energy and in a way, our mental energy. Not so much as regards to finding ideas as to what to do, but it won't just be a case of, ah, there's a concert, you know, in, in three months time. So just, you know, attend that concert and, and, and play. You have to build up like a sports person would, mm -hmm. you know, we're not going to ask Usain Bolt, oh, can you just run 100 meters, please, in less than whatever, eight seconds or whatever it is. But, you know, oh, you're not going to ask a musician to play for two hours without any kind of warm up preparation and so on. And just that feeling of building the story up again. And then by extension, I would presume two percussionists are not going to interpret that same piece of music the same way after they've spent time with it, just as two individuals who meet a third are not going to have a, the same type of relationship with that individual, right? We're, we're multi-dimensional multidimension as people and music is interpreted multidimensionally. Absolutely. And it, it, it really, it, 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 there is no option for that because we are all different. We're all different as far as our heights, our weights, our, the length of our arms, our thoughts, our ambitions, and all of that kind of thing. So there isn't a right or wrong, you know, in, in an interpretation. It's what is relevant to you at this particular time. So a lot of my interpretations, in fact, all of my interpretations has changed over time. So there's no way that I'm interpreting something exactly the same as when I was 20 years old to where I am now. And I want things to evolve. I want things to feel relevant to, to where I'm at at the, at the moment. So it's really important to listen to yourself and work inwardly to, in order to get that externally out there rather than feeding external stuff into our system all of the time. So I'm curious then in this fast moving fractured world, especially in our country now, you know, in the United States, as I'm sure you see from afar, you know, what we're wrestling with here. Uh, what tips do you, do you have for an educator like me, for a parent who's trying to work with young people, um, you know, inundated with input um, on social media, clicking, moving quickly, seeing all this divisiveness around, seeing this sort of shouting across at one another, you know, what, what are the tips that you can translate from your world of musicianship to teaching young people to listen that you would be able to summarize for, for us? Well, it's a really, really uh, interesting and important question. And I think, you know, you might be surprised at a lot of what you're talking about. Um, you know, the scenario or the landscape is very, very similar here and indeed in many other parts of the, the world. And, uh, and because of social media, a lot um, of, of news and feelings and stories and so on can be, uh, you know, put across the pond, as it were, extremely quickly. Um, but there's nothing quite like face-to-face -face communication. There just isn't. 
because it's amazing how with social media things are in bits things are, are really short snaps of this and that and it, it's that's that's fine to a certain extent it really is and i think that we we have to embrace that because it's there already and uh, and it's almost part of an extension of our younger generation now um however getting i believe everything works when it's in moderation you know so i like wine but i'm not going to be drinking wine every day you know um i like a beer i'm not going to be drinking beer every day i like a pizza i'm not going to be having pizza every day so it's really important to try and have that balance so the the face-to-face -face communication and the real transparency in listening to how someone feels. So even if it takes a while for someone to form the words or to form how they might be feeling or um, what they've been doing, you know, in the day or, or whatever it may be, we need that time, an uninterrupted time without our gadgets, without anything. Because when I'm dealing with music and in the privacy of my own four walls, I don't have a phone, I don't have a laptop, I don't have the cat coming in, I don't have this and that going on. When I'm in that room, I'm absolutely 200% focused. So it could be that I say to myself, right, I've got 10 minutes now, this is what I'm going to focus on, and that is that. And it's worth hours in gold. It really is because of that level of, of focusing, of concentrating. And when you're with a person, as we are right now, we're, we're working with Zoom. And thankfully, you have a designer beard, so I can see your lips really, really well. So that's fantastic. But the point is, is that you and I are having a conversation. And at this moment in time, you're the most important person in my life right now. So it's not an email coming in over there or somebody moving over there or whatever. It's this absolute attention to the person or the situation that you have decided to engage in. So I suppose it's thinking about quality, not so much the amount of time and all of that, because it, be it becomes an attitude in a way. If you think to yourself, well, what, what have I consciously listened to today? What have I consciously engaged in today? You know, so it could be that, right, well, I, I'm walking to school today. Well, what have I noticed on that walk that I've consciously, you know, really made myself think, what am I absolutely observing here? Other than walking to school and I'm, you know, sort of social mediaing my friends and, and all of that kind of thing and, and whatever. But really practice the, the idea where you're absolutely focusing on something, even if it's just for a minute, you know, just a minute, just say to yourself, right, I'm going to see what my diary is for next week. I'm going to do that without any interruption at all. And if someone does interrupt, just say, give me one second. I'm just going to finish doing what I'm doing and, and trusting yourself and people will soon respect that. Otherwise, you're going to be constantly almost as though somebody is putting a needle in you every single second of the day because they want your attention. And you're like, oh, oh, I better, oh, I better do that. Oh, I better. Oh, well, oh yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll do that later. And it just becomes this mountain of stuff that, you know, whereby not that much of in-depth things have been achieved.
Yeah, I, amidst the things uh, that you've shared today that have been so powerful, it was really up, to, up at the very first part of the conversation that you've you really um, elaborated on here, that listening is a choice and yeah. that it takes discipline, you, you know, because really having the discipline not to pay attention to all those little pinpricks that come of stimulation during the course yeah. of a conversation or a day, that choice to listen is what I'm taking away to, to really ins try to instill both in myself because I'm not a great listener, but also as I try to um, be a leader in this community and yeah. expound to us like what's going to bring us together and, and hopefully keep us together is the choice to listen to one another regardless of agreement, background, point of view. Absolutely. And the, the choice really is becomes such an amazing learning tool then because the most unexpected things arise and when you use the word discipline that always usually means oh hard work oh you've got to work at that oh you know you're almost hostage to it discipline I definitely don't mean it in in that aspect at all I think it's just more an attitude it becomes a, a kind of mechanism whereby you control in the nicest possible way, your destiny, your choices, because the more quality choices you make, then, you know, it, it's, it's amazing how that just opens up the window of your thoughts, really. It, it really, really does, rather than this constant cleaning of your window, oh, I've got to do that in order to do this, and oh, I've got to, you know, it's just a non-stop situation. <laughs> In really practical terms relative to listening, it takes discipline to put your phone aside at the dinner table with your family or when you're in a meeting with colleagues. Like that just takes discipline. It's something that you have to practice continuously and may at points be uncomfortable for you to do, right? And it takes well, discipline to fight back against that. It, it does. And in a way, can you imagine going to a concert um, let's say with the Dallas Symphony or the Fort Worth Symphony um, and you see all of the musicians on stage with their phones and then you know when the brass don't happen to be playing for a few bars they take their phone out and they start you know how would you feel I mean you would be in an absolute uproar you'd want your money back you'd cancel your your subscription season whatever it might be you'd be absolutely flabbergasted and and that's in a way a similar situation to the everyday things you know when we are at the meal table that we are there to eat food not to just have it as a as a sideline and it is just good ways of practicing or or for a group of youngsters to come together and just say right you know we've got a lunch hour of well I don't know how long your 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 lunch period is but let's say 30 minutes or 45 minutes or something and so for the youngsters to just say right for 15 minutes of that lunch period, we are going to say all of our devices go back into our bags or in our pockets. We do not react to anything and we have a jolly good chin wag together. You know, we can talk about whatever we want, but basically it's engaging with each other. And just to have those moments within the day to, to know that you can do that with real confidence. This is a skill we can work on as individuals. As an educator, I can create better forums in smaller groups for students to ensure that there's going to be good listening there and structure those things that way. These are things we're definitely working on at Parish, especially as we move forward with work around building um, an appreciation of diversity and, and working to become community belonging. So I so appreciate 
um, your wisdom. I hope uh, circumstances with the pandemic allow you to get back on uh, tour again soon and to come to Dallas and, and Fort Worth to uh, perform as you have here before with the symphony. Our listeners can go to your webpage, which has excellent resources there. They can go to your TED Talk uh, that you uh, have, have, have put forward on this very concept of, of listening. You have a book that's come out uh, relatively recently. No, tell us about that. Yes, it's a book called Listen World. And basically, this is mainly targeted for young teenagers. And it's, it's just really a collection of some of the my thoughts and writings from the past. So it's not a, a from the beginning type of book. It's just a general, um, you know, book in order to allow people to just maybe think about something, read something and think about it, digest it themselves or use it as a, a means of discussion. Um, but basically listening, well, someone once said to me, life begins with listening and life ends with listening. And what we do in between really is our choice. Um, but it is a choice and it's an amazing choice we do have because it can absolutely make a difference to your life and to the lives of so many others. Well, thanks for taking time to, to get us thinking about civility and listening and honorable disagreement and reconciliation, all themes in upcoming episodes this fall um, uh, leading up to and around our election that we'll be talking to uh, talking about here on the From My Angle podcast. Evelyn Glenny, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed, and all the very best. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this edition of the From My Angle podcast. Please share it with friends and colleagues in your network. If you are wondering where co-host Damari Hayes is, well, this unique school year has presented some early scheduling challenges for us. I promise he will appear soon with me with some fellow students. In the meantime, I look forward to my upcoming visit with two educators, Karen Schuster and Kelly Weber from Sacred Heart Bryn Mawr School in Pennsylvania. They have developed a program called Courageous Conversations, which helps them teach their young women students the skills of deep listening, civil discourse, and honorable disagreement. Until then, be well, and thanks for listening to the From My Angle podcast.